Hello. Welcome to the Myths and History of Greece and Rome. Chapter 97, Anger and Adrianople. Flavius Valentinianus was born in 321 in Illyricum. He and his brother Valens were the sons of an important general, Gratian, who had served the emperor Constans. Valentinian was tall, physically impressive and distinguished, and was a senior army officer when he came to the throne aged 43. The new emperor was exactly what the empire needed. He cared for the common people of Rome. He was a very talented soldier and a good administrator. He was fair, always trying to give the correct judgment when called on to do so. The only problem was that he had an extremely fiery temper. If you were guilty, if it could be shown that you were guilty, and if the emperor found you guilty, then you were in big, big trouble. The punishment was likely to be very painful indeed. When he became emperor, Valentinian appointed his younger brother as co-Augustus. Valens was not like his big brother. He was short, quite fat and had a big double chin and a bad eye. He wasn't as brave or as fair as his brother, nor was he a good soldier. He was in fact pretty mediocre at everything, but he was just what Valentinian wanted. He was someone who would do exactly what he was told. Valentinian decided the empire's worst problems were in the west, so he took the western provinces for himself, including all of Roman Africa and the Balkans as far east as Illyricum. That gave him charge of nearly two-thirds of the Roman domains. Valens was sent to govern the east. Valens headed to Constantinople. Valentinian headed west and based himself in Milan. Both of the brothers were Christians. Valentinian was generally tolerant of all types of Christianity, but Valens was a fanatical Arian, and carried on in the east where his fellow Arian Constantius II had left off. This was generally fine, as many of the eastern provinces were mostly Arian. In 365, Valentinian realised that his empire had two pretty whopping problems. In the west, the Alamanni were up to their old tricks again, and in the east, a distant relative of Julian, the general Procopius, who we met in the last chapter, was rebelling against Valens. Valentinian could not personally solve both problems, so he jumped up and down in a mad rage, and then calmed down and made his decision. The Alamanni are a threat to my empire, he said. Procopius is only a threat to my brother. And so the emperor went to war with the German tribe. Valens was left to deal with Procopius by himself. Within a few months, the usurper had quite a few provinces on his side, and the short, fat, mediocre emperor began to get worried. Procopius had grown a mad, straggly beard and was acting like a new Julian. The apostate was remembered very fondly by some people and Procopius gathered a lot of supporters. It took eight months for Valens to defeat the rebel, but eventually Procopius's officers saw the writing on the wall. They realised the only way they were going to get out of this situation with their heads still firmly glued to their soldiers was to unglue the bearded head of Procopius from his. This they did, Procopius was beheaded and the head was taken on a sharp spike to Valens. The rebellion was over. Valentinian, meanwhile, was proving to be a fine soldier emperor. A bit of a hothead he may be, but he was mightily good in battle. The Alamanni were defeated and then a new tribe, the Saxons, were crushed. Valentinian settled the beaten Alamanni in Italy and many of their young men became Roman soldiers. In 367, Valentinian received reports from Britain that a combined force of Picts, Atacotti and Scots had killed the Comes, Nectaridus and the Ducks for the four days. At the same time, Frankish and Saxon forces were raiding the coastal areas of northern Gaul. The Western Empire was in the midst of what is known as the Great Conspiracy, 
and seemed in grave danger of losing control of Britain altogether. Valentinian set out for the cold northern island, sending a general called Severus ahead of him to investigate. Severus was not able to do anything about the conspiracy and returned to Gaul. Valentinian frowned, promoted Severus to Magister Peditum and sent the general Jovinus to do the job in Britain. Soon though, Valentinian fell very ill and it looked like he might die. A battle about who should succeed broke out between Severus and Rusticus Julianus, who was a member of the Gallic nobility. Valentinian quickly recovered from his illness and news of the battle made his temper even worse. He quickly appointed his son Gratian as his co-Augustus in the West to stop any more succession battles, although given that Gratian was only ten years old, there wasn't a lot of point. Jovinus soon returned from Britain, saying he needed more men to take care of the situation there. In 368, Valentinian appointed Count Theodosius as the new Comus Britannium, army leader in Britain, with instructions to return Britain to Roman rule. Meanwhile, Severus and Jovinus were to accompany the empire on his new campaign against the ever-troublesome Alamanni. Theodosius arrived in Britain in 368 with four legions. He marched to Londinium, restoring order to southern Britain. He then set about reconquering the areas north of London, putting down yet another revolt. Pretty soon, Theodosius had restored the rest of Britain to the empire and rebuilt many fortifications. Britain was quiet and Valentinian promoted Theodosius to Magister Equitum in the place of Jovinus. Valens spent his early years in the east fighting the Goths. The barbarian settlers had been friends of the Romans since their treaty with Constantine in the 330s, but they felt the treaty was one with Constantine and his family, not with the Roman Empire, and certainly not with this one-eyed joke of an emperor. Valens crossed the Danube and forced the Goths to flee into the mountains. The emperor found that his army was weakened by this action. Goths had been joining the legions for years, and Valens needed Gothic soldiers, so he made peace with them and began a conflict with the Sassanids instead. He stationed himself in Antioch, where we shall meet him again soon. Valentinian was putting down a revolt in North Africa, when, in 373, more trouble erupted on the Danube, this time with the Quadi. The Quadi were annoyed that Valentinian was building fortifications in their territory. They sent envoys to complain to the local Roman commander, but the commander tricked the German tribe and murdered the Quadic king Gabinus at a banquet, not a great idea if you want peace. The Quadi and their allies the Sarmatians attacked in revenge for the murder and two Roman legions were wiped out. At the same time, another group of Sarmatians invaded Moesia but were driven back by the local ducks, a man known as Theodosius the Younger, son of the new Magister Equitum. Valentinian didn't receive the news of these disasters until mid-374. In the spring of 375, he set out from Trier and came to Carnuntum, which he found to be deserted. There he was met by Sarmatian envoys who begged forgiveness for their actions. Valentinian replied he would investigate what had happened and then decide what to do. Valentinian investigated and, by now very angry indeed, decided the tribes were the problem and they needed punishing. He attacked and killed a lot of Germans before he finally agreed to see some more envoys who were asking for peace. An agreement was reached. In return for supplying new soldiers to the Roman army, the Quadi and the Sarmatians would be allowed to leave unharmed. It seemed that all was peaceful now, but before the envoys left, they were granted an audience with the Emperor. They complained again and insisted the conflict was all the Romans' fault. 
Hopping mad Valentinian could not control his rage. He shouted and screamed and his face became redder and redder, but he shouted and screamed some more. In the end he became so enraged, shouty and screamy, that a blood vessel burst in his brain and he fell down dead aged 54. This just goes to show that getting too cross can be very bad for your health. Valentinian, the last great emperor of the West, had been a very strong and successful leader for 11 years. The empire would miss him. Soon after this, the Magister Equitum Theodosius was rather surprisingly arrested and executed in Carthage. His son was forced to retire from the army and sent back to the family home in Spain. Gratian, aged just 16, was now the Western Emperor. In Pannonia, where Valentinian died, the army commander also raised his younger son from his second marriage to the Purple. The new Augustus, Valentinian II, was not too much use to the Empire as he was just four years old. Fortunately, the next few years in the West were quite peaceful. In the East, however, the story was very different. In 376, the Romans near the Danube in Thrace became anxious. The barbarians of the North were on the move. Something was forcing the Gothic tribes from their homes. Thousands and thousands of them were massing on the banks of the Great River, all the way to its mouth on the Black Sea. What was causing this? What did it mean for the Romans? The local people were very concerned indeed. It soon became clear what the problem was. A new race of people had appeared from the steppe lands in Asia. These were real barbarians. They had shaven heads and scarred, beardless faces. They wore clothes stitched together from the skins of mice, which they never washed. They had no homes, just wagons and tents, and the men virtually lived on their horses. They ate raw meat, which they warmed up by sitting on it as they rode their horses. They were frightening enemies, brilliant horsemen who attacked quickly and ferociously. They loved gold, but they had no culture and no civilization. They were about as different from Romans as any men could be. The terrifying nomads settled in Gothic territory in 376, and even the Goths were scared of them. They attacked Gothic settlements, killing the men and livestock, burning the farms, and carrying the young women off to be slaves. Many times the Goths tried to fight back, but they were always defeated. So the Goths ran away, and that's why they appeared on the banks of the Danube. And the new people? Who were they? We met them briefly in Chapter 85. Yep, it's time to properly welcome to our story the Huns. The Romans had also come to be very scared of them in a few years' time. Many Goths had settled in the Empire over the last hundred years. They were given land which they farmed, providing the Romans with food, and the young men often became Roman soldiers, and the tall, strong Goths were very good soldiers. In 376, the leaders of a large Gothic tribe called the Tavingi sent an envoy to Valens asking if their entire people could cross the Danube to escape the Huns and settle in Thrace. The Emperor, knowing the population of Thrace had fallen and needed farmers, and that his army was short of troops, readily agreed. To be fair to Valens, what happened next was not his fault. He ordered the Goths be transported over the river and fed while they were allocated land to settle in. The Roman officials in the area began to carry the frightened tribesmen across the river using fishing boats and other smaller craft. Ammianus says, Day and night, men, women, children and horses were ferried across the river in every sort of vessel and even in hollowed tree trunks. The officials tried to record the names of everyone who arrived in Thrace, but there were just too many of them, and they soon lost count. 
The Danube is a fast-flowing and dangerous river, and was more treacherous than usual because of recent heavy rains. Many boats capsized, and many Goths drowned, but eventually most of them made it into the Empire. There were, according to reports, nearly 200,000 of them. And this is where it started to go wrong. The Roman officials did not give the Goths enough food. They did not start to move them to their new settlements, and they took some of them to be their own personal slaves. The two local military leaders, the Dux Maximus and the Count Lupicinus, realised there was much money to be made from this situation. The call of filthy lucre is often too much for poorly paid officials, and Maximus and Lupicinus were no exceptions. They started to sell the food they were supposed to be giving away. The starving Goths had no choice, and Maximus and Lupicinus were fast becoming rich men. Eventually they realised they'd gone too far, and began the process of moving the Goths into the rest of Thrace so they could be settled. As soon as they moved them away from the river though, more Goths, still running from the Huns, began to cross to the Roman side. The Goths were now dying of hunger in large quantities. The new settlers reached the city of Marcianople, and, when they were not allowed in, attacked the Roman defenders. The Gothic leader Fritigern was inside the city at a banquet with Lupicinus. Lupicinus found out what was going on outside and had all of Fritigern's bodyguards killed. Fritigern managed to persuade him that the Goths would calm down when they saw their leader, so Lupicinus let him go. When he arrived at the Gothic camp, Fritigern declared the Romans had broken their agreement and it was now war. The Goths ravaged the countryside, burning and looting farms and stealing food and animals. Lupicinus had some 20,000 troops in Thrace and prepared to attack but he attacked too quickly and was badly defeated by the hordes of Goths who were now armed with Roman weapons they had taken from the dead soldiers at Marcianople. Many more Goths had crossed the river and joined up with their tribe and there were too many of them for the Romans, so more Romans were killed and more weapons and armour were taken. Valens was informed what was going on and the one-eyed emperor made a hasty peace with the Persians and planned his next moves. The Romans fought the Goths again at the Battle by the Willows. The two local generals were joined by a general sent from the west by Gratian. He was a Frank and his name was Ricomer. With his help the Romans fought hard and many men on both sides were killed. In the end the Goths retreated to their wagons and the Romans to their camps. Nobody won. As winter approached the Goths took everything they could from the Thracian countryside and marched back through the mountains towards the Danube and safety. Sooner or later they would have to come back south if they were not going to starve, but there was a range of mountains in the way. Valens was still in Antioch, but he had sent his general Saturninus. Saturninus blocked all of the mountain roads so the Goths could not get back into the rich farmlands. When winter came though, he let his troops go back to the cities, and the Goths, now joined by some Alans and amazingly some Huns, scorched back into the Thracian farmland and pillaged and looted some more. In 378, Valens finally moved. He gathered up his eastern army and marched to Thrace. His nephew sent word he was sending troops to help. Gratian told his uncle to wait while he defeated the Alamanni and not attack until the western army was there to help. Valens reached Constantinople and surveyed the new aqueduct he was having built. The city was nervous and Valens was unpopular. He was booed and shouted at. He decided he'd had enough of this and left to gather up his troops and generals, ready for his glorious victory. 
At first, the campaign was well planned and successful. Sebastianus, the best general in the east, was given the task of raiding the Goths' camps and slowly weakening them, while the armies of the east and west slowly came together and prepared for the final battle. Sebastianus did his job well and won many small victories. Fritigern gathered his forces of Goths, Alans and other tribesmen in the area outside Kabyle, now in modern Bulgaria, 60 miles from the great city of Adrianople. Valens heard that Gratian had completed his war against the Alamanni and was on his way. Valens was jealous. This 19-year-old boy had already won one big war and the Eastern Emperor decided he wasn't going to wait for his nephew to arrive and take the glory for another one. He had 20,000 men and morale was very good. He could defeat the Goths by himself. What a silly, silly, silly man. Fritigern and the Goths marched south and Valens marched west. Fritigern tried to send troops to block the road to Constantinople so the Romans wouldn't be able to get their supplies. Valens spotted this though and sent his cavalry to stop them. The Emperor held a great war council with his commanders. Some generals wanted to be careful and not face the Goths until Gratian turned up but Sebastianus wanted to attack right now. Gratian's general Ricomer arrived at the camp with a letter from the Western Emperor. The letter contained very sensible advice telling Valens to wait until the Western army arrived and not take any risks. Valens was not pleased and decided to ignore the young man's warnings. Valens and his army marched towards the massive Gothic camp. It was impossible to tell how many men the Goths had, as their entire population was surrounded by a thick circle of wagons. Not a living soul was to be seen outside the circle. Valens did not know that a large cavalry force, including some Huns and Alans, were not at the camp but foraging elsewhere. The Roman army formed up for battle. Some men were seen leaving the Goths' wagon ring. Envoys had been sent to talk to Valens, but he refused to speak to them as they were not important enough. Fritigern sent a message that he would come and talk peace himself, but only if the Romans would send an important man to the Gothic camp as a hostage so the Gothic leader would be safe. Nobody wanted to go. After all, who wants to be a hostage, especially in a situation like this? In the end, Ricomer, after scoffing at the Romans for having no guts, agreed to go. Ricomer left the Roman camp on horseback and headed for the Goths. The Gothic infantry were now lined up in front of the wagons, facing the Romans, and both armies were tense and nervous. Suddenly, some Roman cavalry moved forwards without orders. The Goths, thinking it was a treacherous attack, ran at the Romans, and Ricomer decided it was too dangerous to go to the Gothic camp. He turned back. The time for talking was over. At that moment, the Gothic, Hunnic and Allen cavalry arrived and charged at the Roman army. The Roman horsemen retreated, but, urged on by the infantry, turned round and fought back. They drove back the enemy and chased them, but then realised that nobody was following them and they were separated from the rest of the army. The barbarian horsemen turned and charged back savagely and the Roman cavalry was cut to pieces. The two infantry forces now faced each other in bloody battle. The Romans were well trained and stood their ground. They were attacked by cavalry and archers as well as foot soldiers. For a long time the brave soldiers defended and held but eventually they were exhausted. Most of their weapons were broken and their shields were falling apart. In the end, as the evening faded, realising they were beaten, what was left of the Roman army began to run away. 
It was late and dark, so some escaped, but the pursuing Goths massacred most of them. Many of the generals ran away too. Ricamer, Saturninus and others had horses and so escaped and made it to safety. Sebastianus, though, was left dead on the battlefield among his men. More than two-thirds of the men of the Eastern Army were killed at Adrianople. And Valens? What happened to the Emperor? Just like Decius before him, he had set out expecting to teach the Goths a lesson. Just like Decius, he had been disastrously defeated. Just like Decius, he died in the fighting. And, just like poor old Decius, his body was never found. He lasted a bit longer than Decius, though. The fifty-year-old one-eyed emperor had reigned over the east for fourteen years. The defeat at Adrianople was so much worse than the one at Abritus. The situation was critical. This time the Goths were still in Roman territory, there were many, many more of them, and they didn't want to go home. So, it's 374. Now the empire is in the hands of two people. A young man who, though promising, is very inexperienced, and a small boy. The eastern army's in bits, there are very angry hostile Goths all over Thrace and the Balkans, and the dreaded Huns are nearer to the borders of the empire than ever before. Surely the empire is going to fall now. Surely nobody can rescue it this time. But, as we know, the western empire still has another 98 years left, and over 30 before it loses any territory at all. It would take someone quite remarkable to bring even a short recovery this time. Fortunately, that man is about to enter our story. And next time, we'll meet him properly. So, have a great couple of weeks, and I'll speak to you then.